everyone and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name's Amelia, I'm the editor-in-chief of Anime Feminist and I'm joined today by Jax, Lizzie and Minami to talk about what it's like to learn Japanese. So, if you guys would like to introduce yourselves. Hi guys, I'm Jax. I am with Noir Cesar Entertainment as their entertainment manager and spokesmodel and I am a person of color, I'm a black woman and my pronouns are she, they, them, her, him, etc. Hi, my name is Lizzie. Uh, you know me on Twitter as that nerdy Boliviane at Lizzie Visitante. You can, <clears throat> you can find me anywhere. Um, I go by um, they, them. I identify as Quechua Mestize, and um, you can find most of my stuff on um, Republished on ShoujoPower.com. Used to write for Anime Complexia, but he has since shut down. You can find my newer stuff on Black Girl Nerds and Anime Feminist. Okay, um, so I'm Minami. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Sakai Mi, two eyes. And yeah, I just uh, I live in Japan and I work at a mobile game company and also draw manga and am really trying to debut in Japan. It's very exciting. <laughs> We're going to get onto that topic later, actually, because I'm sure tons of people are curious about this. Um, but specifically, the topic we're looking at today is learning Japanese as a woman of color or somebody who is a non-binary person of color with more feminine presentation who's perceived as a woman of color because it is quite a different experience to that of white people learning Japanese and most of the conversation out there um, centered around the experience of learning Japanese as a second language tends to be focused on the experiences of white people and we're not talking about all people of color, just to be clear, because again, people of color in itself is a term from a very kind of white is default uh, lens. And the experience of somebody who looks Japanese or who looks East Asian learning Japanese is very different to what we're going to be discussing. So we're gonna give a little bit of an introduction um, to give more insight into our own racial backgrounds and our experiences with Japanese so that you all understand the context that we're speaking about this from. But basically this episode came about because Jax and Lizzie and I have been uh, recording the Michiko and Hachin watch along for a few weeks now. And this was an entirely organic conversation that just sprung up after recording one day where we just spoke quite passionately about the experiences that we'd had learning Japanese and how we felt that it had been quite different for us than um, the experiences of our white peers. So it seemed worth talking about. This is something that I've absolutely discussed with Minami in the past. We're old friends and we've talked about this previously, but we don't find a lot of discussion on it in public. So I'm hoping that we can put this conversation out there and maybe give people a new perspective uh, to think about, to consider and maybe even spark some more conversations from other people of color who have very different experiences learning Japanese or similar experiences that resonate with what we're going to be discussing. So to start with, just a self-introduction, um, I am mixed race. Um, so I'm South Asian and white British mixed and I look brown. <laughs> and I went to, ja uh, went to Japan as part of my Japanese studies degree, which I did in the UK. Uh, I lived in Japan, I attended Japanese university. After graduation, I lived with a Japanese family. I lived with Japanese housemates. I've worked in Japanese companies. Um, and I've tried really hard to kind of maintain my level of Japanese through one-on-one -on -one language exchange sessions and through going to meetups. And I actually stopped for a few years um, during which my, my Japanese level kind of declined, but it's still, it's still pretty decent. I was probably about a JLPT level two when I graduated 
probably could have studied it up to level one at that time if I decided I wanted to learn an extra 500 kanji, which I really didn't. Um, and at this point, it's it's dropped a bit below, but I'm, I've just recently rejoined uh, Japanese study through Wanikani, which is a kanji learning app, which Peter actually recommended to me. He's been doing it for a while. Um, and I found it really useful so far. So that's kind of sparked a lot more thinking about how, how we approach Japanese learning. So Jax, how about you? What's your experience and background in this? Um, well, I am black. I am, uh, I wouldn't say mixed race. Well, mixed race because colonization, everything like that. I'm Irish, heavily Irish on my father's side, um, heavily English on my mother's side. And uh, my experience has been that learning Japanese, I originally got into it around high school sometime. And this was because I'd gotten into, well, no, it was probably a lot earlier because I got an anime and manga like as a child. And I hated that I really couldn't quite understand what was being said because certain anime hadn't been dubbed. I had just been finding it or like borrowing wherever I could. And um, I think my first experience was with crying, crying Freeman. So I started wanting to learn Japanese and it was <laughs> an experience. It was so confusing just in general on top of, um, especially my family who is just the quintessential blackest family you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like where have we gone wrong not only does our daughter not want to play with barbies but she's playing video games and she's reading all this japanese weird stuff now she's trying to learn the language where did we go wrong and so i really had to rely on the, my, my primary my primarily white friends who were speaking the language because you know it's just weird for any black person to want to learn another language outside of spanish so for me the experience was why are you trying this is literally the, the the biggest thing i would get why are you trying to be white by learning to speak japanese and uh, to this day, it still does not make any sense. What well, hasn't been a <laughs> I know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I know how dumb that sounds. It doesn't make sense. I have tried to make it make sense, and I'm just like, no, it doesn't work. So I have primarily been learning through anime and manga, but my biggest influence has been music. And when it comes to anime and music and, and from video games, etc., I would just love the music and want to know what was being said. So I'd go and I'd look up the lyrics in the romanji, and then match it to the music and continually study the lyrics and study what the meanings meant and look up the meanings on their own so I'm make, making sure that I was understanding exactly what was being said. So that is how I came to learn most of Japanese along with studying with friends and online studying. Just everything I could to help me prepare for it. I've never had a formal class on it, but I'm still kind of learning enough to where I can kind of hold a conversation. I can listen. I can't read it. I can't, you know fully comprehend it but I'm really learning because I'm trying to get to Japan in September so which is exciting because actually I'm always really happy to hear when um, people go to Japan when they're slightly older you have this period after university and graduation when a lot of people go to Japan kind of early to mid 20s and then after that it does tend to taper so I'm always really pleased to hear about people who are going when they're kind of later 20s or even early 30s like me so I'm really happy that you're actually going Thank you. I feel like I'm super late going there, but I'm also kind of glad that I'm going during this period as an adult because now I have all of these highly weeby misconceptions out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to Japan and it's not going to be a racist country or anything like that. I'm going to fit in and people are going to... I'm not going with those blinders on, so I actually am kind of grateful to be going later. I can totally understand that. Um, we'll we'll get on to Japan and weeby misconceptions soon because we're going to be talking to Minami. But first of all, Lizzie, if you'd like to introduce yourself and your experience. Okay, so yeah, as I said earlier in the mini intros, like I identify as Quechua mestize. 
Um, if folks don't know, don't know, Quechua is an indigenous group of people that live in Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, and Argentina, I think, as well. Um, mestiza is like, it means a mixed race, even though the word is very, is such a very loaded term. It derives from mestizo, which is the actual word, but I'm using a more gender neutral term of it. But uh, I'm not going to get into that term because there's literally class lectures on it. So, so um, I, so I, <laughs> But I'll leave it at that. So, so because of so that's my background, and I started uh, learning Japanese officially when I started university. But I was very much introduced to like to it by watching like anime, reading manga, like back in the day when Toonami on Cartoon, on Cartoon Network was on all the time. That was like my first introduction to to anime. So I've been watching anime for a really long time, as well as with cartoons. And so because of, I've always loved storytelling and I think that was my my best introduction to see to first for um, stories taking me seriously as an audience at a young age. And that just sparked my interest in learning the language on my own. And, you know, after university, I've just studied the language independently. And um, yeah, I still haven't actually been to Japan because I, I haven't been able to afford it. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to go, like now that I'm older and I have a lot of the annoying misconceptions out of the way about about the country. So I think I'll be able to enjoy, if, if I ever get a chance to go, like I'll, I think I'll be able to enjoy my experience there a lot better and be able to catch a lot of nuances that I probably would have missed Um when I when I was younger, so yeah, I mean I didn't really have that ma that much of a an issue of folks um, reacting to me learning the language. I mean, a lot of my elders didn't understand why I would be interested in a whole different culture than my own, and you know, like it's it's just what it was. But and yeah, so I've been able to find I think for the most part better friends and better community out of it. So. That's such a good point, though, because that's that's actually something that I've dealt with as well. Um, I've had kind of complete strangers because we, we all know the where are you from? No, where are you really from? Conversation. Um, and I get that quite a lot um, from quite a range of people because I don't look kind of completely associatable with one specific identity. So I get it a lot from South Asian people, of course, but also from uh, people of South American origin and also from people from the Mediterranean. So I get quite a wide range of people asking me, where are you from? No, where are you really from? What do you mean England? So I have, um, I ended up in conversations where I was kind of talking about what I did that started off with people kind of trying to establish my race. And then I'd say, oh, and I'm doing Japanese studies. And they'd be like, why are you doing Japanese studies? You should be learning Bengali. And the presumptuousness of that has always rankled with me but I've heard it a few times like why are you doing that it's there's no point you should be learning something that's closer to your own culture your own ethnicity your own roots even though at this point I have so much more of a connection to Japan than anything that is tied to my my actual ancestry so we'll come back to that though because I really want to introduce Minami especially since we've been talking about all the misconceptions that we have going over there as little anime and manga fans and Minami's kind of living the nerd dream <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, I'm Minami. Uh I am 
also black. I mean, my family is from Ghana, so um, West Africans. They um, immigrated to America, and I was the only one in my family who was born there. But uh, I majored in Japanese in college. That was the first time I actually learned Japanese. But of course, as many of us, you know, I, uh, my introduction to Japan and everything was for, um, through anime and manga, specifically Sailor Moon in, um, I think, like third grade. I always liked to draw. And so my homeroom teacher was like, oh, there's this new like animation from Japan. And I watched it and I was like hooked. It like changed my life. Um, and but I never really got the chance in high school or, you know, any time before college to study Japanese. So it was really once I um, uh, entered college that I actually studied it, majored in it. And um, I went on the JET program initially for two years. I thought I was just going to do two years and like not come back. And uh, now <laughs> I'm in my ninth year <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> So yeah, like my, my mother has given up, um, <laughs> but uh, the, you know, <laughs> the main reason I think that I've stayed here so long is really, I have been kind of um, chasing this dream to um, become a mangaka in Japan, which is, you know, it's like everyone's dream, I think. <laughs> and um, uh, as you can see, it takes a very long time. <laughs> Uh, my, but, you know, having been here so long, like I did do JLPT, I passed, uh, uh, what is it? Level one, N1. Um, I had to do that four times before I passed, um, N1, ironically, the last time I was so fed up, I actually didn't study and then I passed. So whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, like right now I, um, work at like a mobile game company that puts out, um, what is it like otome game like mobile otome game um localization stuff like i do kind of direction translation lots of different stuff with that and then on the side i am drawing my manga and i actually just uh submitted um went into hanato yume so i'm kind of waiting for the results of that which i will know next month um but yeah like it's just been a really long journey but it's a lot of fun and I'm probably not leaving for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely fair. And I just want to point out, cause I'm not sure everyone's aware, but you actually studied manga in a Tokyo design oh, yeah, yeah. school, that, right? further education school. So yeah, I studied, you've had quite a different experience from the rest yeah, of us. Yeah. I, um, around my, I think like third year or so I, uh, decided to go to a, um, I guess like you would translate it as vocational school. Um, I went to a school in Harajuku, it's called Tokyo Design Academy, TDA, and I studied manga there for two years. And uh, all of my teachers were, you know, I mean, as they taught, they were also mangaka themselves. So really, you know, I was learning from people who already knew the craft. And um, yeah, that was really, I am so glad I did that because it completely opened my eyes and taught me so much. There were so many terms and everything. I'm sure people know a little bit more because of, you know, um, series like, what is it, uh, Bakuman and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like there's just a lot that I think people aren't aware of that goes into manga and really like how 
like the entire process is. And I think that's the thing that I think a lot of people might not be prepared for when they're like, oh, I want to become a mangaka in Japan. <laughs> and and then there's also, you know, like the kind of the difficulties with just like staying in Japan and then also wanting to do art because, you know, you need a visa to be here. Um, and that was like one of the things that has been one of the things that's always been a struggle. So definitely, definitely there's that. And then also I, I'd like to mention, you know, like my, you know, everyone's referring to me here as Minami. Of course, that is not my real name. That's my pen name. Um, and, you know, I'm not Japanese. So why do I have a Japanese pen name? And really, um, I think uh, the reason really is because I am trying to, you know, be published here. I'm trying to debut in Japan, but I'm not trying to debut using my identity as um, really the reason why they would be interested in to me. So I really, just to kind of not put so much focus on me as a non-Japanese person, um, that's why I'm using a Japanese pen name. It's not really particularly because, you know, I want to be J Japanese or anything, but there is a lot of baggage that comes with people's perception of um, people who are not Japanese here. So that's kind of my way of fighting against that. And do you think that actually being a black woman in particular has had any impact on your experience there? We talked about this a little bit in your interview on Anime Feminist yeah, way yeah. back in like November <laughs> 2016 or something. But you've since, I know you've since been working to become a mangaka. You've interviewed with a lot of editors at this point. Because that's just a standard part of the process, right? Where you take your work to editors. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that and... every, I think, aspiring mangaka in Japan does. It's very easy to do. You don't have to, you know, like you basically call them and set an interview and you go. Um, and in my case, uh, my real name, my last name sounds vaguely Japanese, actually. Um, so every time I um, make an appointment, I use my last name because that's just how you do it here. And I'll walk in, you know, I'll meet them. And a lot of times they're like, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think what the thing that I feel the most when I'm meeting people like in those interviews and also just meeting people for the first time is that um, a lot of people's perception of, you know, the foreigner is not really a black person, let alone a black woman. There's not that many black women in Japan, right. or at least not that many high profile black women in Japan. So a lot of times they really don't know what to make of you. And I think yeah. that can be, that can be a little bit like, you know, the, it's a little scary, I guess, for certain people. It's also just like, well, you know, this is a really new thing. Like, does this person even know what they're doing? Are they lost? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that, actually. Like, I do get like, <laughs> do you know <laughs> that you are here? Like, <laughs> um, you know, I'll, like, I'll give them, like, my manga or, like, this has happened in, like, other situations where it's not even manga related. And they'll be like, do you understand Japanese? And I'm like... It's written in J Japanese, and we are having this conversation in Japanese. So um, I'm not. Yeah. Oh so there's a lot of that, <laughs> and I think it's like kind of, um, it's a lot more when you're not when you're even like you're not even in that category of oh a foreigner is like you know this blonde, you know white woman, or whatever you know. Right. And so yeah. I actually 
I actually had this experience when I um, studied in a Japanese university. There was one time when they rounded up a lot of the exchange students to go visit a high school in Japan. And each class was assigned a person to spend like an hour or two with them and just answer some questions about their country, that kind of thing. And I walked into my assigned room and they were like, this English girl is coming. And I walked in and the whole class's faces fell. And it was, it made me so angry. Um, It was, it was just kind of an extension of things that I'd already been experiencing. And don't get me wrong, there are advantages here too. I appreciated the fact that people didn't try to speak to me in English a lot of the time because I'm brown. So they, I kind of had the double take effect where I walk up to people (laughs) and they don't clock me until I'm like within three feet. And then suddenly they do a kind of, you know, goofy style (laughs) oh what, and turn around. (laughs) And (laughs) see, I really wanted to represent that visually with my face, but you can't see me. So hopefully the audio version did the job, but they just do this big double take. And it means that people would kind of come up to me from behind and kind of say, excuse me, me wanting to ask the time or directions or something. I'd turn around and they'd be like, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> and walk away. Um, and that, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. But I did appreciate people not trying to speak to me in, in English. A lot of the time they couldn't identify what language would be most appropriate. So they'd just default to Japanese and I would do the same. And that was that was much simpler. And any time I was with Jap- uh, with white friends, they would be like a beacon oh, for please goodness. teach yeah, me English, yeah, kind of please. Absolutely. <laughs> so that was a way I benefited. Um, but at the same time, I felt like I spent the entirety of my university period kind of stuck in a situation where the, the there was like a, a, it wasn't a spectrum. This is the thing. There were two distinct beauty oh, ideals. Yeah, yeah, yeah when I was at university and there was one of the the kind of docile Japanese girl and then there was the other of the beautiful blonde white woman and I was nowhere and that was really really hard for my self-esteem while I was at university and I think I kept trying to fit into different boxes I kept trying to make myself a bit cuter in the thought that I could kind of go more towards the Japanese beauty ideal and then kind of give up on that and be like okay I'll be I'll just be my foreign self and see what happens there and you know it's not like I tried lots of dating or anything I did actually have a Japanese partner for a while um but even just being around those beauty standards whether you're looking for a partner or not like immersing yourself in beauty standards that you cannot possibly fit into 24 7 for years is really rough on you absolutely absolutely like I just um that I, it's it's interesting actually because I think I've seen a lot of my um, change in the way that I've seen myself and the way that I approach that particular topic in the way that I speak Japanese. <laughs> oh, because, yes, um, absolutely. You know, there was yeah, like like what you said, like there was a certain point for me too where I was really trying to because yeah, you don't really fit into any category. You're not really particularly like. There in Japan, it's like there are, you know, it's like, yeah, when I first came there, what I thought was, oh, actually, what's different here is that for most Japanese people, it's like either you're Japanese or you're not. So there's not really as much 
of like, you know, you're black, you're this or that is what I kind of mistakenly thought. But then the longer I stayed there, the more I realized, oh, actually, there is kind of a hierarchy within that category of non-Japanese. And when you're a black woman, you are not at the top of that hierarchy, let me tell you. And yeah. Um, And so like there, when I was trying to kind of make myself more appealing, more feminine, more whatever, then I would try to affect my speech patterns. But the thing is that naturally, yes, you know, I'm not really the most like, you know, I do identify as a woman, you know, I but I'm not like super, super feminine. Um, I'm like pretty, uh, pretty rough with the way I speak in English and like (laughs) the longer I've been in Japan the more I've realized that the way that I prefer to speak is very rough actually (laughs) so (laughs) so, you know I I won't be like you know I think a lot of um, feminine speech patterns in Japanese will be like or something like that and I don't sometimes I'll use that but like there's a lot of like and like you know like like yeah (laughs) I would probably wouldn't say that like, you know, or something like that, you know, like, like, you know, like, um, like, I tend to just, that's just the way that I speak. And I, I, it's probably partially because I am pretty, you know, otaku as well. And a lot of otaku women also don't have the most feminine manners of speech, but <laughs> That is that is one of the most rewarding things about learning Japanese, I find, is when it gets to a point where you can really decide how to present yourself in the language. That's awesome. When you get beyond that and you start naturally expressing yeah, yourself no, I, as you are. I definitely, I feel like, you know, speaking in Japanese is kind of localizing yourself. Oh, that's <laughs> a good line. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always approached it that way. So the, the more confident you get into it, the more, the better you are at kind of adapting yourself so you're the most accurate version of yourself for um you know Japanese people yes that's a really good line (laughs) I'm gonna use that (laughs) okay I want to step it back a little bit because we're talking about kind of the end result of being in Japan but going way back to like when you're just learning and especially learning independently and I know Lizzie this conversation first came about because you and I were talking about going to meetups like Japanese learning meetups and the experience there. And I know you you had quite a negative Ooh, experience. Oh, where start with that? Am I right? Um, oh, yeah, because, <laughs> you know, because one of the best ways to learn a language is to actually putting yourself out there, which was originally kind of hard for me since I'm like an amibird. Like, I'm selectively, like, extrovert or an introvert, and that one was a big one. And, yeah, for the most part, it was not very good, like, one of the things that I noticed right away in most of the meetups I went to was that there was intense yellow fever. Uh, let's just let's just define yellow oh, fever for um, the people listening. My understanding of the term is like folks who have this, like they exoticize and they fetishize, like in particular East Asia in the context that we're speaking about. Like let's say let's just you know Japan, right? Like they have certain idea certain ideas of how Japanese. Japanese people are like like in the case of Japanese women I often found that a lot of the men like preferred Japanese women because you know in their mind they're more docile right they're like and all these other really creepy creepy things like uh so yeah yeah and I I want to just before we move on from this is 
like yellow fever is a term that I have heard some people object to because they say that the term itself is problematic. I don't deny this. Um, at the same time, I think it it sums up very well what we're all talking about, which is where somebody let's let's narrow it down where cisgender men who are not from Japan have a specific interest in Japanese women or East Asian women um, because they feel like looking that way will attach them to certain characteristics such as being docile such as being sweet such as being kind of uh, submissive and obedient like that kind of package image there is a long history of representing Japanese women in this way and East Asian women as a whole but um, in this particular context speaking just about Japanese women and so the term yellow fever has been used for a long time to sum this up but if people do have kind of specific concerns with it we would love you to kind of raise this with us in comments and we can we can have a dialogue about it but for the moment yeah yellow fever is something that I encountered so much at university um, so much while living in Japan so much while attending meetups and the way that men who are not from Japan sexualize and fetishize women who are from Japan is yeah it's really hard to take I know we've been talking about particularly like white folks who um are often prioritized and their behaviors when they're abroad and whatnot but I guess in my case I want to be more specific mm-hmm. about how men of color like um acted in a lot of the meetups I was at like I would hear like in a, like um, one of these one of the, one of my ex friends who, for a lot of reasons, we had a really bad falling out, and in this it relates to this, but um, about how oftentimes they would he would he would particularly go into some of these spaces and say, oh, I prefer Japanese women are so obedient compared to like Bengali women, and he start he would he would start like listing all the things that are wrong with particularly Bengali women, and. Uh, it was mm-hmm. such a it was such a mess to hear because I knew he was because um, I didn't know he was like that until we got into these spaces, and then and then I started hearing about yeah. you know his behavior how he would go to other meetups for other languages right but not particularly to want to learn those languages right yeah, yeah and uh, that's just one experience but like but other than that like yeah there's I've seen it so many times and. Uh, yeah, it's never been really that great. And they would hog time with the the speakers. And I understand, you know, because it's so rare that you can, you know, native speakers are on the time limit of how you can, how long you can speak to somebody and then switch over. But mm-hmm. yeah, but it was always interesting for me to see how often, like, like I remember the committee for one of the, the language exchange groups I was I made it a conscious effort to talk to the Japanese women in particular to make sure that they would come to them for any grievances um, that will that most likely would happen after every meetup. Yeah. It yeah it was really it was really gross and I often found the way they handled things was not really that adequate. But yeah so. And of course, the, then we can get into whole the dating thing, right? I was not really there to date anyone, but uh, a lot of folks who wanted to learn either language would often, you know, you what's the best way to do it? Get a partner, right? And and oh, that is advice yeah. that people actually give. I got told that so much, and especially when I had a Japanese partner, it was so frustrating to have our relationship reduced to that. Here's something I just have yeah, a question yeah. with as far as the whole dating and everything, because I know we're talking about the fetishization of 
um, Asian women, which has been a problem for centuries and centuries and centuries. But my question is, what about as far as foreign women who are fetishizing the men? And I'll go ahead and I'm listening to Lizzie talk about the men of her culture and how they fetishize, you know, Asian women. And that is so prominent in the black culture, too, to the point where it's absolutely disgusting. I'm like listening to her talking. I'm just nodding my head like, yes, it is gross. It is not okay. It is disgusting. And then I'm listening. And then I had to check myself at one point because I'm just like, well, wait a second. Because at one point I had to learn to kind of stop fetishizing Asian men. And this is this this took a lot of unboxing on my end, especially being a fan of anime and growing up in an environment where, to be perfectly honest with you, I have a long-standing fear of black men. I see them, you know, I, I had to learn to kind of get over my fear of black men from seeing them like as this outside, just constant threat based on my experiences as black women, as a black woman just in general. And so when I started getting into anime and manga, I looked at it, you know, and I started to, I honestly started to idealize like, the, you know, the characters to the point characters where oh my god like this would be a good person like look at this prince in this manga like even though i don't know it's totally not real i got sucked into it on like the highest weeb level you could where i okay the absolute standard you know black men ain't shit like white guys and like you know but then at the same time i started realizing god i hate being fetishized as a black woman what must it feel like doing the same thing to these asian men and it's so interesting because once I realized, once I caught myself doing it, I kind of backed off from dating Asian men because it's just like, okay, am I with you to fulfill an ideal or am I with you because I actually like you? Like, that took me a minute to really, I mean, I really had yeah. to get over this issue. And at the same time, being so immersed in anime, manga, culture, stuff like that, I wasn't particularly appealing to black men, particularly being a black girl nerd. For some reason, there's still this stereotype that black women aren't nerds and so are constantly coming yeah, down yeah, yeah, yeah. for their That's video so games. And we're doing extreme shit, like pulling out their video game cords or something like that. And I'm literally like, now you know, the worst part is it comes from black nerds, black male nerds. Like, and I'm listening to this and I'm just like, are you being for real right now? So when it comes to my experiences with dating and stuff like that, my, my question is how is, how are interracial, I guess, relationships and stuff like that, like kind of looked at when it's a foreign woman with like Asian guy, like I'm honestly not going over there trying to date, but at the same time, it's just like, I don't want to fall into the trap of, okay, I'm in a new culture. Like I've learned to stop exoticizing and fetishizing like Asian men and stuff like that. And if I do date while I'm over there, like I want to know how that is seen because I know I get a lot of shit for it over here. Even after I stopped fetishizing them and exoticizing like Asian men and stuff like that, I started just dating the person for them. I caught a lot of hell for it. Like just being a black woman and dating outside her race period. And of course the hell would largely come from black men. And that's the interesting standard that I noticed when it comes to cisgendered men, just in general, is that it's okay for them to kind of date outside their race, depending, like it's expected with a black woman, it's like seen as like one of the biggest taboos. You cannot date outside your race. You're either, what's a popular term here? Bedwinch or a Jezebel or just crazy ass slavery ass terms dating to black women pertaining to black women who will date outside of their race in general and it's just like the stigma is so bad that you just don't see it with white men or black men or just men in general so this is just something that I was very curious about you know what it is like in Japan what it was like for you as as women of color excuse me as women of color to go through this experience I think that's yes. a really important point actually because I mean my experience has been that there are 
there are kind of people with fairly surface level concerns on both sides. And if those kinds of people end up together, they deserve each other. That tends to be my view. So you have non-Japanese women who kind of go to Japan looking for Asian men. And if those Asian men are also looking for non-Japanese, sorry, if those Japanese men are also looking for non-Japanese women for the same kind of level of reasoning, good, have fun, have kids together, enjoy. Yeah, no, that terrifies me. That absolutely terrifies me being viewed in that way. Like that's something that genuinely concerns yeah. me because I don't. But I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's something that you end up in. I think that it is something that you can spot quite early on. But I'm going to defer to Minami on this one because you've been in Japan for many years and seen this play out a number yeah, of times. Yeah, I I'm mean, sure. like, I do actually agree with what Amelia said that like a lot of times those couples who are interested in those like surface level like you know I want to date you know. A foreign girl I want to date Japanese man like usually they'll find each other and yeah you know whatever have fun like have fun. <laughs> I mean a lot of times like it won't work out because like you know in the beginning it's fun but then like like the further they get into it a lot of times um for the non-Japanese girl like she's like oh wait there's all these other Japanese things about him that are super annoying I don't like that and then like on the other hand, he's like, you know, oh, she needs to be more Japanese. Uh, this is not working out. And so a lot of times, you know, that might not go well. Or, you know, they actually end up having to, you know, really learn about each other. But um, in... <laughs> oh, gosh. How dare <laughs> you suggest that? <laughs> but um, in, my case, uh, in my case, I um, was in a relationship with a Japanese man for about a year and i mean hmm like <laughs> i you know it's i it's been ta it's taken me a really long time to kind of break down our relationship like what happened in that year actually because in some senses like i feel like he did kind of see me in a certain way that I don't think he should have seen me as, I, I don't know, I, I, it's like hard for me to describe because it wasn't like super um, obvious, like, you know, it's not like something that you would see in a movie or something where it's like the, you know, the problems here are just like right in your face. But like, for example, he said, like, because we were actually pretty serious and um, he said uh, kind of early in our relationship um, like, you know, if we got married and we had children, um, if we had a boy, I would want him to look more like you. And if we had a girl, I'd want her to look more like me. And uh, what? Oh. And like, honestly, when I was told that, like, it was such a bizarre statement that I didn't like, I don't think I had like enough energy to like process. It. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like yeah, way later when I was like, what the <laughs> like, and and I think like we never talked about it, but I'm pretty sure that like he was going about it as you know like if it's a guy, then you know you want him to be big and strong like a black man. If it's a girl, like uh, you yeah. want her to be like you know oh, no. more feminine and whatever like a Japanese woman, which is weird because you're dating a black woman. But um, but like yeah, like kind of weird stuff like that happened every now and then. But then like for the most part, I think the longer we were together, the more we kind of viewed each other as, you know, ourselves. Um, but essentially there were just like some, you know, like it was just like, there were certain aspects of ourselves that we couldn't just like, it just didn't work out. And that's why we broke up. But 
Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, the thing is that a lot of people, like, like, if you tell them, like, okay, what, what's, like, can you name a black woman? They'll be, like, Beyonce. And so, like, um, you know, like, all black women are going to be, like, Beyonce or, like, Whippy Goldberg or something to, like, to people because, like, because of media, like, because of media. And um, also something that um, I think is kind of interesting um, is that if you look at the way um, people are dubbed in Japanese media, so like if yeah. it's and subtitled, and subtitled. Yeah, not just dubbed and subtitled, um, but particularly dubbed because um, then you can hear the tone of the voice and everything. Um, usually, for if there's a black woman, yeah. she's going to be given a much more mature sounding voice than a white woman. Like this always happens because one time like i've been on and off on tv just doing random stuff because it's like a really stupid dream of mine of just like being on tv in japan because i love it but um (laughs) there was one time most of the time (laughs) when i've been on it i've actually just talked but there was one time just for this thing that i actually was dubbed over and there was another segment which had a white woman in it and she was given this really cute voice like it was a very moe voice and on the other hand i was given this like super like i don't even know like oksama voice like like <laughs> like um <laughs> like you know i was introducing myself like you know like you know hi i'm minami or whatever and like i watched the show live on tv and it was like hi america got a minami and i was like i would never like very wow. like mature older lady sounding voice and i was like okay but like yeah oh you know like i i think that the it's because of like a lot of those like media representations of um, black women really you're not like we're not really seen as cute yeah. like if we're like the, yeah. the most positive you'll get is like sexy right thank you that was i think that's a really great point and that's something that i totally experienced as well i rarely get kawaii na like it's always like sexy dane or kirei dane which you know they, these are compliments they're nice but you do yeah, notice yeah, yeah. the contrast um i remember there was this there was this one time at university where a japanese guy came up to me at one point and was like i want an international marriage just out of that nowhere is, that was that kind of his icebreaker <laughs> um it turns out he wanted me to set him up with my blonde oh my friends goodness. and that is the kind of thing like that was the way it was is I was sort of a non-entity in that that picture so I actually I actually had a relationship with a Japanese guy for like three years and I look back now and I feel really fortunate because he was somebody who wasn't really concerned with conformity and he was very much like I like you for you and we like I never had the issues with him that I have seen play out time and time again so the pattern that Minami just mentioned of the um woman thinking oh no actually this is a bit too japanese for me and the guy being like i need you to be more japanese i've seen that play out so many times and usually it's very early on usually it's quite obvious that things aren't going to work out but sometimes it works in a specific context such as an exchange year a year abroad um and then as soon as you get out of that and into the real world that's when the pressure starts hitting and that's when people kind of start cracking under it it's interesting you bring that up because i saw a lot of what uh you're saying in the in the language exchange groups i were at i was at like there wasn't a lot of people of color in a lot of the exchange groups i went so 
I noticed very early on that a lot of the speakers, like, well, very nice, would often really prefer to speak to white folks. Like, um, like the Japanese dudes mm-hmm. would want to talk to the girls. That's very blonde. And the same, and the girls with the guys, right? So, and that's where they normally like mm-hmm. would be seated at. And, and there were times where I was just kind of left alone to my own devices. So, um, yeah, and like, yeah. you know, and I've, heard, I've heard really like wild stories about how dating plays played out long after um, my, my time in exchange groups. So, yeah, so yeah, like I know one, I, I know like this one story about like I remember some of the Japanese women I knew were like tell me about how, oh, like they totally got their boyfriends to pay everything for them, learn enough English and then left, right? So I was like, okay, um, I'm like, okay, you know, at least you got money out of it. So, <laughs> like, you do you. I mean, you know, take that, you know, like take advantage of that, I guess. But it was just like, it's after. You know, after all that, I just got really turned off from going to language exchange groups. And because I was also mostly afraid for my safety, too, because of the the ex-friend I mentioned earlier, like he would still show up at Mm -hmm. those meetings long after myself and other folks collectively took him off of Facebook and whatnot. So, uh, so, yeah, I didn't want to deal with that again because, you know, the stalking and everything. So let's not, you know, so. So, yeah, like. After that, I've just been turned off from going to any of those things and just mostly staying at home, learning by myself, reading, listening to music, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, like, unfortunately, like, even in Japan, there's, like, a lot of, you know, um, like, exchange groups and stuff like that, and I have made it a rule for myself just, like, not really to go to those anymore because there's really, yeah, there's a certain type of person who tends to frequent those places. Um, I mean, it's a lot easier to like, you know, practice Japanese and everything when you're in, well, Japan. So I can afford to do that, but (laughs) it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, outside of Japan, that kind of attitude and everything still persists. So it's like not really kind of a comfortable space to be in. But I think even within Japan, um, certainly I've seen the idea of uh, English conversation practice or English language teaching is highly racialized and there are ads that go out yeah, specifying yeah. they want yes, white teachers oh my gosh. and like that's it's i don't think it's super common but it does show up and people are just like well i, you I know, have a story to share about that actually like not for myself but like one of my friends who's a teacher and was teaching abroad in east asia for a while uh she was applying for a position in the philippines and um to give context she's uh, brown from el salvador and oh my gosh she told me how literally straight up the employers for that told her they're looking for white canadians they're not looking for someone who's like like of latina heritage who's plus size etc so oh like they told they literally told that straight to her face and it was so awful some of the colorism that i've heard that she went through while she was teaching in east asia was uh was really awful and it sounds similar to everyone else I've heard from who's had that similar experience abroad yeah absolutely and I know there's a way that you can you can teach English cash in hand basically in Japan it's quite simple to do um but there are people who go to that specifically to try and date people so like you, you might have a a what do you call it a student a client who will kind of invite you to dinner and that kind of thing and it's 
it's not what it seems. So I think the connection between English conversation teaching and dating and racial kind of awareness, I think there's a really strong connection there, which people just kind of accept in Japan because it's been that way for so long. Um, and as uh, Minami says, like the media representation is pretty... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's sparse. <laughs> it's not great. It's Pretty not great. Like, there was, oh my goodness, what was what was the name of that show? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it would be, it was, it's this no, show, does I it mean, still I, exist? I mean, I think it, it might have been, wasn't it based off of the manga? And maybe, I don't think the manga's still going on, but the show is definitely. I think it was based on Bewitched. So Bewitched, oh, I think the title in Japanese is Oksamo Madol. I didn't, I didn't put that together. And it's... My wife is a witch, um, or the wife is a witch, and they made it. My wife is a foreigner, and so it's this whole TV show about Japanese men and the women that they they married. And so on the plus side, it was so great to see so many couples, like interracial couples in Japan, where the the woman is the non Japanese partner. Um, on the other hand, they do these kind of story, re like fictionalized or sorry, dramatized retellings of like these these women where they were children and stuff. And like, I remember there was one in particular, I think she was Croatian and they showed a dramatized reconstruction of her when she was at school, taping up her eyes to make them look more Japanese. Oh my goodness. <sighs> and so they'd show they'd show these women as in kind of a clownish way in some ways, but they would also have these women on screen speaking in Japanese and these men talking about their relationships with their wives and so it was such a mixed bag for representation but certainly when I lived in Japan that was kind of the closest you got there was actually an English woman on TV at one point and it was I remember being like that's amazing because the closest you get otherwise are half Japanese people with English parentage um and they are you know they're, they're women of color or they're people of color but it's not it's not the same experience as I've had. And I think those intersections between your cultural background and your racial background and your Japanese ability, like it all gets completely lost yeah. in Japanese media. I mean, it just but, gets completely wiped over. I mean, one good thing is I over. do see like um, a bit of a change happening. Um, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I'm seeing more like black women or like, you know, non, basically non-white women on TV. Like it's still kind of... Um, you know, kind of sparse, but even just like seeing foreigners on TV and they're not really reduced to that kind of like goofy panda slash gorilla status. Um, like, for example, I um, just so you know the context of this, I am a big um, tokusatsu fan. I really like Kamen Rider um, and like Sentai and stuff. I could, <laughs> you know, whatever. I won't, I won't start on that because I'll go like forever. But, um, that's another podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's another podcast, you know. But uh, recently, um, in the past like few seasons and stuff, I see a lot more foreign actors playing parts in these shows. And these shows are for kids mainly, but like um, in the most recent one, it's kind of police themed. The police chief is a black man. Oh. Wow. And he's not like a super, I mean, he's like, I mean, everyone's a little bit goofy and took such, but he's not like more extra than everyone else, basically. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's basically on the same level as like everyone else. He kind of likes bonsai and stuff like that. And he speaks in Japanese. He, he doesn't really have all of these like crazy, like Americanisms and stuff like that. He's like just a character. He's allowed to exist as a character who just doesn't have, who's not Japanese. And I, and I think that's really cool. 
That is so cool because like the representation of black men on Japanese TV. Oh, Bobby. Bobby, I think is the, oh, Bobby, who makes, for anyone who's not familiar with Bobby, I can't remember his last name, but he's. uh, Bobby Oligon. Thank you. Thank you. And he has made a caricature of himself on Japanese TV and he's made a name for himself that way. And you have, you have kind of white men doing this too. I'm thinking of Pakun, for example. Oh, but Pakun is like way more, like, you know, like when you're watching Bobby versus Pakun, like Pakun's character has this, like, he's allowed this dignity that Bobby doesn't have. Exactly. Like, no, that's exactly like, my point. It's like he he makes himself a caricature of like the white guy who doesn't speak Japanese so well and isn't that adorable. And because when you hear him speak Japanese normally, like his Japanese level is way better than he actually appears on TV. Uh, we're talking about um, uh, Bobby, right? Sorry, no, Pakun, Pakun. But he's, oh, you know, Pakun but he's allowed, Pakun he's allowed to kind of do it and it looks cute. And it's cute because he's like, he's, it's just him kind of making fun of himself being a foreigner who's not like completely native fluent. Whereas Bobby kind of digs into the racial element of it. And he sold himself in this way. Well, and yeah. that's so hard to watch. It's like, I mean, there was a, there was a special oh, years ago um, where they did this, uh, God, what is it? This dokiri, like, you know, su- like surprise candid type thing um, on his children where literally, like, I'm still offended by this, like years and years later. Um, they, his daughter at the time, she was like five or something quite small and they made her believe that her father had turned into a gorilla. Oh. Oh, no. And I was like, are you wow. serious? But the thing is that he did this. Yeah. Like, he, That's you know, like, um, like the, the, the thing, um, I think was uh, also just a slight correction because Popkin's a little bit, there's like a number of like white, uh, not, you know, like white, what is it, talent, like you know yes. like personalities and uh japanese tv and actually pakun is the one that actually he comes across as like quote unquote the smartest because they always talk about his um harvard education and they're always talking about how good his japanese is and everything and then oh, there's wow. like other there's a few other people who oh god what's that guy david specter david specter is the one who's more like um like he allows them to kind of, I mean, recently, not as much, but in the beginning, he was like, you know, um, goofy, you know, white dude. And he actually said in an interview, he's like, you know, they see us as pandas. And well, you know what, if it makes me money, I'm going to be a panda. And so yeah, a lot of people. And as a white man, he has the, he has the liberty to do that without it reflecting poorly on all white men. It's, I mean, media representation is a massive topic. And it's interesting, actually, that you say that. I just remembered when I was on my year abroad um, and I had this uh, black friend who, when we were out one day, these, like, these Japanese obasan, like, they just surrounded her, these women. And they're like, can we take a picture with you? And she was like, am I in a zoo? Like, that was, that was exactly how it felt. They were taking pictures of, with her because she was black. And that was it. And they'd never seen a black person before up close in the wild. <laughs> so because I work with a lot of black artists who have been to Japan, um, one of our best artists, Mikkel, went over there. And while he was in the airport, now Mikkel is, five, no, Mikkel isn't even five feet. He's a, she's a short kid with short dreads and one of the biggest sweethearts I've ever met, biggest heart ever. And 
I believe he was mistaken for some random black celebrity that was so far removed from Mikkel, what Mikkel looks like, <laughs> that it's like literally, it, you might have well has been con confusing Channing Tatum and I don't know, um, give me a famous black, Morgan Freeman, like that's how extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask him what, what person it was, but I mean, it was just so crazy to think. And then um, another one of our artists went over there, Nick, um, who is just real big into Final Fantasy and has worked with Square Angst and everything like that went over there one time. And he said that he had never been hit on by so many just Japanese women so fast. He was there like in what? He was there for a couple of days, I want to say. And he was the sole just center attraction because he didn't look like the typical like, you know, I guess what's can I ask what is the stereotype of black men in Japan? Because from what I've seen so far, um, just in the media, it's that they're bulky. They're usually kind of, you know, some kind of hip hop or slang to them, possibly dreadlocks, possibly a fade, possibly 53 golden chains. Like, so how are black men <laughs> in Japan? Because whatever that stereotype was, Nick was getting the attention because he was the opposite of it. I mean, just the direct black goth opposite of it. Yeah, like, basically what you're saying is right like there is uh i mean black men are seen as like being big being i mean it, and like all of this is actually in general really positive like they're big they're cool maybe they're a rapper um you know like you know you want them on like yeah basketball player like like all of this stuff like uh, there is that image of black men and so like a lot of times when i put it like if I kind of think about it in like levels of desirability, like if you're just going to simplify it to, uh, you know, white people, black people, um, at the top is white men under them is black men. Then it's white women. Then it's black women. And, oh, okay. So it's like a patriarchy here pretty much. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's interesting in itself. Like that. I have definitely felt that like the, I mean, like probably the toughest time is when I realized that that was like how it actually was. And now I'm kind of more like, okay, you know, whatever, like this is the world. <laughs> there is something I want to ask you just like, from being a black woman. And I want to know if this has ever happened to you just because of how black women are viewed sexually. Has anyone ever approached you just and sexually stereotyped you based off the whole stereotype that black women are sexually aggressive and et cetera? Setter in bed. Has that ever happened while you have been there? Because I know it's happening here a lot, and I don't know if that's the case in Japan or it's just how you're viewed, or if that's just something that's kind of I don't know. I can't think of the right word for it. But is, have have you ever had that experience while being in Japan? Well, um, I've had a lot of creepy experiences walking home, and I don't. But I'm not exactly sure if that's because I'm a black woman or because I'm a foreign woman. I mean, I've had just like situations where like, uh, you know, a guy will like approach me while I'm walking home at night. It's always at night. And like one, one time some guy like basically took, he, he took my hand in his and then we were walking and I was like, okay, 
need to go back towards the station because I don't want him to know where I live. And he was tr struggling to, you know, speak to me in English and eventually just says, like, I want to make love to you out of oh, nowhere. And I was like, okay, we're going to end this and stuff. And um, just like, there was one time too, and this wasn't even by a man, it was just by another foreign woman, but probably Southeast Asian, but I'm not exactly sure where. Um, I was at the laundromat and she was, she came to me and asked like, you know, do I have a job? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do. And she's like, is it a day job? And I was like, <laughs> okay. Like, I think maybe she thought that like, you know, she could recruit me for like, you know, kind of night life stuff. And like, um, like there's been kind of weird stuff like that, but I don't think like, um, to be honest, like just the way I guess culturally things are, I don't think people will like straight up approach you and like, like proposition. Ask, you. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen as much. Like a lot of times it's like, um, they're going to, I don't know. Like it's, it's a little bit complicated. <laughs> it's like, it, yeah, it, it's totally complicated. I mean, I've had a, a couple of experiences, um, not a black woman, obviously, but, as a foreign woman who is not white, I had one experience where I had just arrived in, in Tokyo or Osaka, I don't remember which, and I had a suitcase and I was clearly very tired. And this guy offered to give me directions because I was looking lost and that happens in Japan. You just look lost and somebody will spring up to offer you directions. It's very convenient for someone like me with no sense of direction. And after he'd shown me where I needed to go, he was like, would you like to have a drink? And I was like, I've got a suitcase. I just got off like a 19 hour flight, come on. Um, so I said no, and I was just so startled. He was like this middle-aged salary man with glasses and stuff. And I was like, this is such a stereotype right now. Um, but it was, it was just so bizarre. And that hadn't happened to me um, before, but I have had people who, um, like there was a time when I was in Japan for my year abroad and this guy, invited me to something knowing that I had a boyfriend and I didn't see an issue with it I didn't have quite the cultural awareness then despite living in Japan I didn't have the cultural awareness then that I do now and I didn't realize the significance of being alone with a guy who was not my boyfriend at kind of a date looking event so we went like he I think I'd made some comment about how I wanted to see the the sakura and he's like oh I can take you and I didn't think anything of it and then while we were out he tried to hold my hand and stuff I was like what are you doing it just it just came completely out of nowhere for me but I have noticed as well that the the views of fidelity and the views of monogamy and views of relationships in general get massively distorted when you bring language exchange abroad yeah, yeah. into the picture and I've known a lot of people a lot of Japanese people come to England and have been like yeah I've got a girlfriend or I've got a boyfriend but you know I'm only here for a few months or whatever and that has absolutely been the case vice versa and so that that expectation being placed on me because I was an obviously non-Japanese person in Japan I think is more likely what happened there but I was there for a full year and I was had been with my boyfriend at that point for something like two years so it was like there was there was no way that that was remotely relevant as far as I was concerned but apparently that expectation was placed upon me yeah I mean yeah it, it's just like I but I think the whole like you know do you want to go for a drink and stuff? That's going to be the way that people like approach you mainly. Like, yeah. like it, so it's not like super, super aggressive. Like, okay, let's like sleep, you know, sleep with me now 
I mean, when the guy was like, I want to make love with you, that was probably the worst <laughs> I've ever... <laughs> I can't even imagine that. And Japanese people as well tend to be more open, saying things that sound quite blunt in English that they yeah. would never say in Japanese, which can be really awkward. Yeah, like, it's just, I mean, yeah, weird stuff. Some weird stuff at night when you're walking home. But yeah, that was probably yeah. the weirdest that I'd ever been told. Okay, we are towards the end now of our hour, I think. Um, so just to just to wrap it up, um, I'd like each of you to kind of just think about if you give any advice to any younger women of color or non-binary people of color who will be perceived as women, like what advice you would give them for learning Japanese in this context. So Minami, I'm gonna start with you. You've probably been asked this a million times anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the first thing um, is just like, yeah, don't really be afraid. Like, learn Japanese, like, first, you know, you know, like, if it's through a textbook or if it's through a class or whatever, yeah, just learn it first. But I do think that, you know, if you can, like, even if it's just for, like, a really short amount of time, like, try to, you know, make it to Japan and practice it. Because um, I think right now, like, there's just not a lot of visibility of, yes. um, you know basically i mean not just black but just like non-white uh non-japanese like women you know um who speak japanese um and there's definitely not a lot of us in japan um and so like i think it would be wonderful if there is more like right now i'm trying to you know eventually uh be published in japan and honestly, you would think that I would meet someone who is doing the same thing in Japan, and I have not seen a person in, like, years. Like, oh. and I would love to see more people. Like, a part of the reason why I want to do this so badly is so I can show that you can. But the very first thing that like, you need to do is to learn Japanese. Like, that's just, you know, the number one priority. And I would say that there have never been as many tools as there are now to learn Japanese independently. Yeah, it's sure. it's incredible to me. I often think about how much better I would have done in language classes on my degree if we'd had things like Wanikani today. I, I just kind of think anyone who's at university right now and doing a Japanese degree, like you have no excuse. <laughs> and also just like, you know, I think a lot of people, like sometimes people look down at like, the reason why you're learning Japanese and stuff like that, or like the means. And I actually don't yeah. think that's, yeah, I don't think that's really a productive way of thinking. You, you know, if you like that idol game and you are learning Japanese so you can read that story, you do that. You exactly. do that. You let your best boy teach you Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid of it. Because I've seen a lot of people stigma. doing that. And, like, I think it's actually pretty cool. Like, because um, it doesn't matter the initial reason. It just matters how you use it when yes. you have it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I did an entire Japanese degree because I wanted to be able to understand anime without the subtitles. Like, that was my complete motivation when I started. Um, and actually, the stigma that you find when you tell other English speakers about this or the kind of baggage that gets attached to it, that doesn't really exist in Japan. 
that's like unless somebody spends a lot of time with people learning Japanese as a second language and so they've built up conceptions about it like to your everyday average Japanese person that stigma is not there they'll just be like cool do you know one piece yeah that's how they'll respond <laughs> they will literally basically. say that they will literally yes. say that <laughs> so speaking of independent learning Jax like what would you recommend what advice would you give I mean, I know there's a big dub versus sub thing going on right now, and that'll always be a thing, but I would definitely say do not do not look down on subtitles. Um, the only thing that worries me about subtitles is that they might not be entirely accurate when translated. Um, and to be perfectly frank with you, my main motivation, aside from getting around in Japan, is learning, is to be able to read so much of the backlog doujinji that I've collected over the <laughs> And I'm like, I've literally been stockpiling this stuff. So that is one of my primary motivations. It's not, oh, well, I'm going to Japan in September. So I'd like to be able to know how to get around and get to my hotel room. It's like, no, I have like a 13, 14, 15 year goal here and comics that I want to read. So hold on to those. God, Google Drive is such a blessing. Um, but hold on to those motivations for real, because it just made me so happy to hear that the stigma of why you wanted to learn Japanese, especially if it was for nerdy reasons such as this, is not there in Japan. It's so refreshing to hear. It's comforting because it definitely here there is that stigma where you're just like, well, I learned it because this is something. They're just like, oh, that's, that's, they judge you. So I would say to younger readers, or younger, to younger listeners, especially don't worry about what your family thinks about it, especially you're still black, regardless of what did you learn you know, a different language, you like Japanese culture, like, because in the black community, they tend to revoke your black card for shit like that. So, um, don't let that get in your way, because I'm sorry, but, like, Nami is living, like, the dream. Like, I have been so gassed <laughs> this entire podcast. I'm like, this is unreal. So, please, like, you guys could be like her one day. So, please, just keep learning. That's great. Lizzie, how about you? Yeah, I totally, I, oh, gosh, where do I start? Um, my advice is, um, is that you will find community you know I mean I know everything we've said about our own personal experiences have been it's probably a lot to take in but um, I promise you that you will find like folks who will get you who will understand you and who will understand your motivations of learning a language Um, I mean I fell out of it because of all my own negative experiences but thankfully through meeting like other like-minded people like in like in this podcast for example and seeing more uh, trans and queer content come content come out from japan has really con has really motivated me again to really get back into it and try to be fluent one day and uh yeah like that i think that gives me a lot of hope and um you know for whatever interests that you have you know reach out to those sources that way you can um learn learn it in your own pace i mean that way i mean you won't entirely be able to avoid negative experiences and but i'm hoping at least the journey to learning japanese for you will be much more pleasant you know so yeah keep going at it and i think for me my advice would be mostly on the psychological side because this i spent kind of years unpacking self-image related issues that I had built up from doing Japanese at university and from living in Japan at a time when I was still kind of developing these thoughts about myself. And I would say try and try and resist the the pressure of beauty standards. Try and, try and acknowledge them. Try and be aware of them. Be aware of when you are doing something because you feel the pressure to do it. Because 
you've seen a lot of Japanese shows where this is how women look and this is how women act and therefore if I want to be a desired woman I have to look like this and I have to sound like this and act like this and like just try and be conscious and stay um, critical of the media that you're consuming and the impact that it's having on you it is so much easier said than done I do appreciate and just try and keep a little bit of distance there and recognize that actually through learning Japanese as Minami said love this line it is a way to localize yourself and that's not just in terms of how you use the language that is in terms of when you go to Japan and you have this kind of blank slate in a new culture and you have a real chance to try out a new version of yourself and just be conscious of what you're doing and why you're doing it and what feels good and what feels right and what feels authentic to you I think that's really important um and just have fun with it I mean in we've talked a lot today about differences but actually one of the greatest lessons that I learned from studying Japanese was how similar you are to people on the other side of the globe and actually connecting with Japanese women who feel the same way as I do about the same things that I do like that has been incredible like getting um getting Japanese friends who will kind of be able to more like express themselves because you can speak Japanese you can actually have proper conversations on a level and they can talk quite openly about things like race like gender like their thoughts on relationships things that are very difficult to do when you're speaking in a language like one language that's a first language for one second for another but to very different levels like I think that's it, it can be much harder to connect with people and have those conversations it's not impossible you can go out to Japan with quite pretty basic Japanese and have some amazing conversations often over drinks like I've absolutely seen this experience this but that experience of being able to have a proper conversation with somebody um, that you think you might not have been able to have if you didn't speak their language like that feels so good and it does really teach you that as Lizzie said you can build community anywhere and that community when it comes will be international by default and that there's it's, it's quite a special experience to have and it was I think so restricted and gatekept for so many years and in the 21st century they've really started breaking down a lot of the obstacles to becoming a competent Japanese speaker to being able to travel to Japan to being able to kind of build those connections and those communities we have so many more avenues to do this now than we ever did before and it the more women of color people of color who take advantage of this as Yasmin said the better the visibility is really important having role models in your own community and being a role model is important. So I hope that anyone listening to this who is learning Japanese and who is like, has questions, I hope that you feel comfortable kind of approaching us. All of our Twitter accounts are gonna be in the show notes for this. And it's absolutely something that we'd be willing to do a follow-up podcast on, I think, just speaking presumptuously for absolutely everyone here. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think that we'd be willing to do a follow-up and dig into specific topics so if there's anything that's interested you please do step up and say and we'd love to hear from you so I'm just gonna wrap this up now thank you so much to you all for joining me for this it's been such an interesting conversation and we have actually gone a little bit over um so you can find more anime feminist work at www.animefeminist.com you can find us on twitter at anime feminist you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash animefem. Uh, we have a Tumblr, animefeminist.tumblr.com. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash animefeminist. We are paying everyone for their work. 
This is what the money for Anime Feminist goes to. If you go to our Patreon page, you'll be able to see a really clear breakdown of how much people get paid and who gets which money and when. And it's it's all very clearly laid out so that we can be truly transparent. But we do need more. We're still not quite breaking even. We are so close. We're something like $134 away now. And I'm like, let's just get to the end. So we're, we're aiming for $2,000 if you go to our page and we're still not there yet and you can spare a dollar a month, it adds up, it really does. And if you can spare $5 a month, you get access to the exclusive Anime Feminist Discord server where we can have conversations like this in kind of a safe environment. So if you go to patreon.com slash anime feminist, please send us what you can to continue our work. So thank you so much again to Dax and Lizzie and Minami. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, I would recommend that you check out the interview that we did with Minami, Sakai Minami on Anime Feminist back in November 2016 or something like that. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes or check out the Michiko and Hachim podcast watch along that the rest of the three of us are doing. <laughs>